0: And welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at PubQuiz. we are your hosts? I'm Lauren. And
1: I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hello,
0: Lauren. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Light Living- and breezy. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream. Um, I uh, neglected to tell you a very important piece of information that I don't know if you have heard, but Costco is now selling... Seven pound tubs of Nutella that you can buy
1: for twenty two dollars. We're gonna have to join.
0: Uh no, you won't because I have a Costco <gasps> connection. My good friend and coworker Carol, <laughs> who you met the other day, is a mm-hmm. Costco member, and I bet if I could her her little, twenty two dollars, she, she would, would bring me. us some Nutella. Seven pound bucket of Ugh. Nutella. Can you imagine going at that with a spoon? Or mm. like some, some cookies, just dip it a dip dip? Mm. Mm. That's the dream.
1: Um, I'm waiting for those uh, Nutella M&Ms to come out. Oh yeah. Like when they announced them a couple months ago, I was just I've been like vigilant <laughs> every time I walk into the store. I was like I know the packaging is blue.
0: <laughs> well, unfortunately the
1: caramel ones, I are know. Also I blue. have had some false <laughs> some false some heart false excitements. yeah. Oh no. When the adrenaline no, started no, going, no. nope. Do you know people that don't like Nutella? I have a
0: confession to me. Yeah, you don't like Nutella. Well no, I like Nutella. No, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I just don't I just don't have the fervor. You know what I mean? I don't have the fervor for Nutella. If it's in front of me, I'll go, yes, I'll take some Nutella, spread it on my toast. Well,
1: I think that's what most peop most people are like. Well, no, that. I
0: mean you hear about like I don't know, maybe it's the internet or BuzzFeed or something has made me feel like all women our age should be like literally sweating Nutella out of their foreheads because they eat so much Nutella on a regular basis, you know? So I don't know who to believe
1: Julia, <laughs> but I like it. It's good. There you go. So I know what my shopping list is <laughs> this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and brilliant suggestion from our engineer. Um, this transitions us into this week's topic. Um Eleanor <laughs> Roosevelt. You really hit all the consonants
0: <laughs> in a major way and I appreciate it <laughs> and I love it. So please tell me more about talking about Mrs. Roosevelt. Tonight.
1: Mrs. Roosevelt. So <laughs> Anna Eleanor Roosevelt. What? was born on October 11th, 1884 in Manhattan to socialites Anna Rebecca Hall and Elliot Bullock Roosevelt. Um, From an early age, she started going by her middle name, Eleanor.
0: Oh, really? Okay. So her
1: mother's name was also Anna. Oh, okay, to prevent confusion. I get it. Um, Her father, Elliot, was President Theodore Roosevelt's brother, making Teddy her uncle, and he was also her godfather. That's nice. Um, Her mother, uh, who... I'm going to tell you, she's a real bench, okay? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, her mother nicknamed her Granny because she acted in such a serious manner when oh, she was a child. That's mean. Yeah. She was a BIT of a... J-E-R-K.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> For sure. Um, so Eleanor adored her father, Elliot, who was always really kind to her. Um, and she had two younger brothers, Elliot Jr. and Gracie Hall, who went by Hall. Um, it also turned out that she had a half-brother named oh. Elliot Roosevelt Mann. Um, her beloved father had had an affair with one of the family's servants named <gasps> Katie Mann. Oh, scandalous. <sighs> yes, a scandal. So when Eleanor was just eight years old, her mother died suddenly from diphtheria in December 1892. So she's eight years old. She's been living with her mean mother all this time. Her mom always said that she wasn't pretty and that she was too serious and that she wasn't ever going to amount to anything. And then Eleanor put a curse on her
0: and then she died of diphtheria. (laughs) So we should all fear
1: little Eleanor. But then her brother Elliot Jr. died of scarlet fever the following May. Oh, my gosh. Um, So, back to old Elliot Roosevelt Sr. Um, At some point during Eleanor's childhood, he developed himself a pretty severe drinking problem. And at one point, he was confined to a sanitarium in Paris by the Roosevelt family. Um, In 1894, in New York City, um, he died after first attempting suicide by jumping out of a window. What? Uh, So, he was like in a... He had his like the delirium tremens Uh fit, and he threw himself out of a window. He didn't die from falling out the window. He survived the fall, but he died from a seizure afterward. Oh, my gosh. So, But before her father died, um, he implored Eleanor to act as a mother to her remaining brother, Hall. Um, And she made good upon this promise for the rest of Hall's life. So um, Eleanor's childhood losses left her prone to depression throughout her life. Um, Her brother, Hall, um, he also... Suffered from alcoholism. Oh, so, yeah, we'll get into him. Um, so after the deaths of both of her parents, Eleanor was raised in the household of her maternal grandmother, Mary Livingston Ludlow in Tivoli, New York. Um, Mary was the great-granddaughter of Robert R. Livingston, the chancellor of New York who administered the presidential oath of office to George Washington in 1789. out of here. And he also served on the Second Continental Congress Committee that helped to draft the Declaration of Independence. So... so Presidential connections all over connections, the place, right off the bat. So yeah, the Livingston family was like an important family in American history. So yeah, no she kidding. Was living with her very stern um, maternal grandmother. Okay. Um, as a child, Eleanor was really insecure. Uh, probably again because her mother always called her boring and ugly. Yeah. Um, and then her father, who she spent her whole childhood trying to impress, committed suicide. Good, good. Um, so she was basically like starved for affection, which is very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, But at age 14, in 1898, she attended Allenwood Academy, which was a private finishing school in Wimbledon outside of London, um, where she said she spent the happiest three years of her life. Um, She learned foreign languages, literature, music, art, dance... Wow. You know, all, the, all the things Yeah. Um, and Eleanor was deeply influenced By the school's headmistress um, She was called Marie Souvestre um, She was a noted educator who encouraged Independent thinking in young women Smart. Uh, Marie also privately taught Eleanor history, geography, and philosophy And accompanied her on trips Across Europe um, Eleanor was also captain of her field hockey team there Good for her Yeah At age 17 In 1902 Eleanor completed Her formal education And returned to the US At her grandmother's bidding And she was presented As a debutante At the Waldorf Astoria Hotel Um, Eleanor said of her debut Quote It was simply awful It was a beautiful party Of course But I was so unhappy Because a girl who comes out Is so utterly miserable If she does not know All the young people And of course I had been gone So long abroad That I had lost touch With all the girls I used to know in New York I was miserable Through all that
0: Oh, there's so, nothing worse than being a teen and feeling uncomfortable and ha- being in an uncomfortable dress that you don't feel like you feel pretty in, and yeah. you don't know anybody at the party, and you have not developed any wit and charm yeah. <laughs> to really get to know people. <sighs> Poor.
1: Um, yeah. And at that point, she was about five foot 11. And she had, oh, no. yeah, so, <laughs> so tall. And um, she had dark blonde hair and blue eyes. That same year, she met her father's fifth cousin, making him her fifth cousin once removed, named Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh, boy. Um, They met on a train to Tivoli, New York. So the two began a secret correspondence and romance, and they became engaged in November 1903. Um, by the way, genealogists have determined that FDR was distantly related to a total of 11 U.S. presidents. Are you serious? Yeah, five by... Bl- Five by Blood and Six by Marriage. Oh, my gosh. So um, if you need to know who they are, that's John Adams, John Quincy Adams, Ulysses Grant, William Henry Harrison, Benjamin Harrison, James Madison, Teddy Roosevelt, William Taft, Zachary Taylor, Martin Van Buren, and George Washington.
0: So here's the thing. A of all. (laughs) No wonder there are so many conspiracy theorists about like (laughs) lizard people and like the The Illuminati. Yeah. And... And second of B, there's a ton of like. Fa- there are only like seven families there's who seven have ever families. ran the there's free world. There's five
1: names, <laughs> seven families. Exactly, it's crazy. Wow, who knew? Eleven? Jeez, yeah. <laughs> so um yet another royal bench of a woman franklin's mother sarah ann delano roosevelt opposed the engagement and made him promise that he would keep it on the dl for a year um so sarah took her son on a caribbean cruise in 1904 hoping that separating eleanor and franklin would put a damper on the romance but franklin remained determined um their wedding date was set to accommodate president Theodore Roosevelt, who was scheduled to be in New York City for the St. Patrick's Day parade since he agreed to give the bride away. And the couple were married on March 17, 1905 in a cousin's parlor in New York City. And Teddy's attendance at the ceremony was front page news. Uh, When asked for his thoughts on the Roosevelt-Roosevelt Union, the president said, quote, It is a good thing to keep the name in the family that's pretty good <laughs> uh the couple then spent a preliminary honeymoon of one week at hyde park new york and then they got themselves set up in an apartment in new york city um and then that summer they went on their formal honeymoon which was a three-month tour of europe
0: oh if only i could have a three-month <laughs> tour of europe for my honeymoon lord that's so many months that sweet sweet roosevelt dollars to yeah, get that roosevelt money
1: so after returning to the U.S., the Roosevelt settled in a New York City townhouse that was given to them as a Christmas present by Franklin's oh, mother, Sarah. Oh, gosh. Um, and they also had a second family residence called Springwood, which was the estate that overlooked the Hudson River in Hyde nice. Park. Um, but right from the outset, Eleanor had a contentious relationship with her controlling mother-in-law. So the city townhouse that Sarah gave them was actually connected to her own residence what? by sliding doors. <laughs> Not even like a, like a door with a handle? so she just, so Sarah ran both households in the decade after their marriage. She basically like would just pop in whenever. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, So... (laughs) Um, early on, Eleanor had a breakdown in which she explained to Franklin that I did not like to live in a house which was not in any way mine, one that I had done nothing about and which did not represent the way I wanted to live, but nothing changed. Wow. Um, Sarah also sought to control the raising of her grandchildren, and Eleanor reflected later that Franklin's children were more my mother-in-law's children than they were mine. Wow. And, um, their oldest son, James, remembered Sarah telling her grandchildren, your mother only bore you. I am more your mother than your mother is.
0: Wow. Wow. what? Mm. That poor woman. Yeah. Also, Frankie, get it together. Yeah.
1: No. He stand up he to got your cerebral. mother. Oh yeah. Ugh. Um so Franklin and Eleanor had six children. Um they were born between 1906 and 1916. They were Anna, James, Franklin the first who died while he was an infant, um then Elliot, and then FDR Jr., who was their second son with that name since the first one died. 'Cause you know they're selling. Yeah, just six recycle names. it up. Um like,
0: you know, like the Van Gogh thing. Yeah. Vincent. Yep. Everybody's Vincent.
1: Yep. Um, and then the final one was named John Aspinwall Roosevelt the second. Um, Eleanor disliked having sex with her husband, and she later told her daughter Anna that it was an ordeal to be born.
0: Wow. <laughs> An
1: ordeal to be born. What is
0: it? Like lay back and think of England? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's for Roald Dahl. Yeah. Uh
1: Wow. Um, So Eleanor also considered herself ill-suited to motherhood. Later writing, it did not come naturally to me to understand little children or to enjoy them. Well, she
0: didn't have a very
1: good childhood, so she never got to be a kid. Yeah. And so she never got to play with other little kids. And And she never got like parental love. Yes. Like very meaningful parental love. So she didn't know what that was supposed to be like.
0: So there was no way she was going to be able to give that to her offspring, especially when her mother-in-law was like sharp elbowing her out of the way. Battle axe. Practically like nursing the children at her own wrinkled breasts.
1: Good God. Sorry. (laughs) a little too far we, p- we pick up a little here. So <laughs> after the birth of her last child, Eleanor became determined to resume a life of her own. Um, so she got involved with the Red Cross um, to assist with American soldiers fighting in the Great War. And she volunteered at a mental hospital for soldiers with shell shock. Um, in the meantime, following FDR's graduation from Harvard in 1906, oh, yes. um, two years at Columbia Law School, and then employment as an attorney on Wall Street in New York, um, FDR was elected twice to the New York State Senate as a representative of Dutchess county in September 1918 Eleanor was unpacking one of Franklin's suitcases when she discovered a bundle of love letters to him from her one time social secretary Lucy Mercer
0: oh my god
1: Franklin apparently had been contemplating leaving his wife of 15 years for Lucy what and Eleanor offered Franklin his freedom with oh, a divorce. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but following pressure from his political advisor Louis Howe and from his mother, who threatened to disinherit Franklin if he followed through with a divorce, the couple remained married.
0: What the what? She didn't want him to marry Eleanor anyway.
1: Yeah. What is but this But then, but then you can't bring shame upon your family. Ugh, yeah, Lord. Mm-hmm. So, FDR promised never to see Lucy Mercer again, but this was effectively the turning point in their marriage. So, their union from 1918 on was more of a political partnership. Um, disillusioned with her home life, Eleanor again became active in public life and focused increasingly on her social work rather than her role as a wife. In the 1920 presidential election, when Franklin was nominated as the running mate of Democratic presidential candidate James M. Cox, Eleanor joined Franklin in touring the country, making her first campaign appearances. Um, the Cox Ticket was ultimately defeated by Republican Warren G. Harding with Calvin Coolidge's VP, um, who had won with 404 electoral votes to wow. 127. So um, Franklin's first time on a on a ticket didn't go so hot. Didn't go great. In August 1921, the Roosevelt family was vacationing at Campobello Island, New Brunswick, Canada, when Franklin was diagnosed with a paralytic illness, at the time believed to be polio. Um, By the way, he saw four doctors as his illness got worse that summer. Uh, The first said he had a heavy cold. (laughs) The second thought he had a blood clot on his spine. And the last two diagnosed infantile paralysis, a.k.a poliomyelitis, a.k.a. polio. Uh, but with 21st century eyes, his symptoms are actually seem to be more consistent with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Oh, right. A rapid onset muscle weakness caused by the immune system damaging the peripheral nervous system, which FDR's doctors failed to consider as a diagnostic possibility. Huh. Um, during the illness through her nursing care, Eleanor probably saved Franklin from death. Um, he faced many life-threatening medical problems, including the possibility of respiratory failure, urinary tract infections. Ugh. in. Injury to the urethra and bladder, ulcers, clots in the leg veins, and malnutrition. His legs remained permanently paralyzed. Um, When the extent of his disability became clear, Eleanor fought a protracted battle with her mother-in-law over his future, persuading him to stay in politics despite Sarah's urgings that he retire to become a country gentleman. Um, This proved yet another turning point in Eleanor and Sarah's long-running struggle. Yeah. And as Eleanor's public role grew, she increasingly broke away from Sarah's control. Good um, tensions between Sarah and Eleanor over her new political friends rose to the point that the family constructed a cottage two miles away from the Springwood Estate, in which Eleanor and her guests lived. Wad Franklin and the children were away from Hyde Park. So <gasps> Eleanor herself named the place Val Kill, um, loosely translated as waterfall stream from the Dutch language, common to the original European settlers of the area. Huh. So. After Franklin had recovered as best he could from his sudden illness, Eleanor began serving as a stand-in for her incapacitated husband, making public appearances on his behalf, often carefully coached by Lewis Howe. She also started working with Women's Trade Union League, uh, raising funds in support of the union's goals, which included a mere 48-hour work week, Uh, minimum wage, and the abolition of child labor. uh,
0: Oh, great. No babies getting burned while, like, shoveling coal into a giant furnace. What novel
1: thinking. Great.
0: Great. Good job, Ellie.
1: (laughs) Throughout the 1920s, Eleanor became increasingly influential as a leader in the New York State Democratic Party, while Franklin used her contacts among Democratic women to strengthen his standing with them, winning their committed support for the future. Um, So... In 1924, she campaigned for Democrat Alfred E. Smith in his successful reelection bid as governor of New York State against the Republican nominee, her first cousin, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. <gasps> so, FDR had spoken out on Theodore's wretched record as Assistant Secretary of the Navy during the Teapot Dome scandal. Mm-mm. Remember that Teapot Dome scandal? Sure right? do! So, that is where the Secretary of the Interior had accepted bribes and leased Navy oil reserves at Teapot Dome, Wyoming to private oil companies without competitive bidding. Can you, like, oh, that's such a scandal. Yeah. These days, this is like, this is a Tuesday.
0: It would not even show up in the papers. Right.
1: So... Franklin was like, "Mm, Teddy, when you were in the office, you should have known better. So Eleanor basically dogged her cousin on the New York State campaign trail in a car fitted with a papier-mâché teapot that was made to (laughs) emit simulated steam to remind voters of Teddy's supposed, but later disproved, connections to the scandal. That's amazing.
0: Wow. She
1: is a cold-hearted bitch. So Theodore Jr. never forgave her. No, of course not. Um, her, um, His father, Teddy Roosevelt, had actually died in 1919. Um, so um, Eleanor's aunt, um, Anna Bamey Roosevelt, publicly spoke with her, publicly broke with her after the election and wrote, I just hated to see Eleanor let herself look as she does. Though never handsome, she always had to me a charming effect. Alas and alack, ever since politics have become her choicest interest, all her charm has disappeared. <gasps> She just called her ugly. Did you hear that? Sure did. Ugh. She just called her ugly to her face. So Eleanor's like, you know what? Whatever, man. The family. Yeah. You guys. Get out of here. You guys are crazy. You guys are not not good for her. No. Okay? So she's like, I'm going to make my own family. I'm going to go out. I'm going to figure this out on my own. Good for her. In 1927, Eleanor joined friends Marion Dickerman and Nancy Cook in buying the Todd Hunter School for Girls, a finishing school which also offered college preparatory courses in New York City. So at the school, Eleanor taught upper-level courses in American literature and history, emphasizing independent thought, current events, and social engagement. She continued to teach three days a week while FDR served as governor, but was forced to leave teaching after his election as president. Also in 1927, she established Val Kill Industries with Cook, Dickerman, and their friend, Caroline O'Day, three friends that she met with her activities through the women's division of the New York State Democratic Party. So Valkill Industries was located on the banks of a stream that flowed through the Roosevelt family estate in Hyde Park. Um, she and her business partners financed the construction of a small factory to provide supplemental income for local farming families who could make furniture, pewter, and homespun cloth using traditional craft methods. Oh. Back to arts and crafts. Yeah, arts and crafts. Um, So most Valco products were modeled on 18th century forms and the colonial revival. Mm. Um, So though Valco Industries never became the subsistence program that she and her friends imagined, it did pave the way for future larger New Deal initiatives during FDR's presidential administration. Laying the groundwork. So Eleanor became first lady of the United States when Franklin was inaugurated on March 4th, 1933. Having known all of the 20th century's previous first ladies, she was seriously depressed at, ha- at the thought of having to assume this role, which had traditionally been restricted to domesticity and hostessing.
0: Yeah. And that was not her bag. Did not like it. No. No.
1: With her husband's strong support, she continued with an active business and speaking agenda that she had begun before assuming the role of first lady in an era where few married women had careers. She was the first presidential spouse to hold regular press conferences and in 1940 became the first to speak at a national party convention. She also wrote a daily and widely syndicated newspaper column, My Day, another first for a presidential spouse. She was also the first first lady to write a monthly magazine column and to host a weekly radio show. And the first... Yeah, she's... She's the the original like hyphenate, you know. Yeah, getting it done in the first year of her husband's administration, um, Eleanor was determined to match his presidential salary, oh. so she earned seventy five thousand dollars from her lectures and writing, most of which she gave to charity. Good for her. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, get it, Ellie. Yeah, I don't know if that's even something she would like. Probably not, Eleanor. Oh, Eleanor. Eleanor. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. In early 1933, the Bonus Army, which was a protest group of World War One veterans, um, marched on Washington for the second time in two years, calling for their veteran bonus certificates to be awarded early. So um, you might remember this from, from U.S. history. So many of the war veterans had been out of work since the beginning of the Great Depression, and the World War Adjusted Compensation Act of 1924 had awarded these World War One veterans bonuses in the forms of certificates that they wouldn't be able to redeem until nineteen. 19- 1945. So it's like you guys did great. You fought for our country. You helped win World War One. We'll get you some bonuses, but like in 20
0: years, here's an IOU.
1: Yeah, basically. So this would have given them like you know an extra dollar a day for every day in like domestic service, or like an extra dollar twenty-five a day if they if they served overseas. So that's like that's a good amount of money, especially if you maybe were from a poor family or mm-hmm. you were an immigrant. And when you yeah. came over f- and then you served in the war. So basically this is the, this is the bonus army. They came and they, they marched on Washington. They camped out in 1933. Um, but the year before president Hoover had ordered them dispersed and the U S army cavalry charged and bombarded the veterans oh with tear gas. Gosh. What? And then also the police came in and they shot, them and what? two guy two veterans died how have i never heard of this the bonus army the Bonus you know there's like a really iconic photo of like all of the like 1932 like it's super muddy and people have like made houses out of cardboard and tin and they're like just camped out in on the lawn in yeah. washington hooverville
0: yeah i do remember hooverville and the mm-hmm. shanty towns mm-hmm. i remember that because andres and i in eighth grade, could not stop laughing at the word shantytown. So maybe I was laughing too hard to remember what to they remember were there for. To remember what
1: we were actually talking about. Exactly. Here. So. Yeah. They they were called the Bonus Army. And so this was bad. 1932 was very bad. They came back in 1933, though. Yeah. But this time, the administration set up a special camp for the marchers at Fort Hunt, Virginia. They provided 40 field kitchens that served three meals a day. Wow. They had bus transportation to and from Washington, D.C., so these guys could be heard. Um, and they also provided some military bands. So... Eleanor visited the veterans at their campsite where she listened to their concerns and like sang songs with them and like ate food with them. Um, So the meeting helped to like bring down the tension between these veterans and the presidential administration. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the marchers later commented Hoover sent the army. Roosevelt sent his wife.
0: That's kinda cute.
1: But good news for them, FDR later issued an executive order allowing the enrollment of some of these veterans into the S- civilian conservation corps as part of the new oh, deal. Okay. And in nineteen thirty six, Congress authorized the immediate payment of the two billion dollars in World War One bonuses. Wow, so that's great. They got they got they their got money so money out of this. Mm-hmm. But again, two guys died. That's which is which is crazy. Which is crazy. Which is crazy. <sighs> anyway, okay. Now you're ready. Now you're, you're primed. I'm in. Mean, I'm primed Eleanor and ready. That's great. We love her. We love her. At this point, we have to circle back to her personal life. Okay. Okay. So. Oh, is it. Eleanor. Is it Juicy? Is it Eleanor. Juicy? Okay. Okay. Had a very close relationship with Associated Press reporter Lorena Hick Hickok. So we call her Hick. Okay. Um, she covered Eleanor during the last months of the presidential campaign and fell madly in love with her. Of course. Hick, Who wouldn't? Hick traveled with the first lady through many of the campaign stops and they got to know each other very well. Mm. During this time, Eleanor wrote daily 10 to 15 page letters to Hick. What? These letters included such sentiments as, quote, I want to put my arms around you and kiss you at the corner of your mouth and, oh. quote, I can't kiss you so I kiss your picture goodnight and good morning. So, according to Susan Quinn's 2016 book, Eleanor and Hick, The Love Affair That Shaped a First Lady, um, Hick and Eleanor exchanged more than 3,300 letters during their lifetimes. Oh, my gosh. Um, Hick kept both sides of their correspondence all those years, and she destroyed some of the more explicit letters. Uh Uh-oh. But most she donated to the... Roosevelt Library in Hyde Park with the stipulation that they couldn't be opened until 10 years after her death. Sure. So in 1978, a journalist named Doris Faber was one of the first to access the now open letters. She was basically like shocked and appalled and like like. Completely horrified. Couldn't believe what she was reading by their contents. And she asked the librarian if the collection could be locked up again for several more decades. Oh, come on. But the librarians were like, nope, this is great, open. So Faber decided that if such a story were going to come out, she wanted to be the one who told it. Um, But she kind of like changed the course of the narrative. So it's like these materials came open to the public and... like the first person outside of that relationship that got to read them then wrote the story about it. So it kind of affected how anybody else would think sure, about yeah, it. Sure, yeah, yeah, you know exactly. I mean? So the writer Kathy Riley lamented that it was terrible that Faber was the one who accessed Hicks letters first. She said that it was a crime akin to turning over Sappho's poems to medieval Christian theologians.
0: Wow. So
1: basically like, like we have an actual, like perhaps a nice, a, a A romance that's very, actually very important to. Yes,
0: and influential to both of their lives and influential to history, I would make the argument. And this woman who is clearly horrified by their persuasions decides to rewrite the the history. Tells the narrative. Yeah, exactly.
1: So was it an innocent friendship or was it like a secret lesbian relationship? A secret
0: lesbian relationship, Julia. It was a secret
1: lesbian relationship. (laughs) Come on. <laughs> FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover really didn't like Eleanor's liberalism, um, her stance against, uh, regarding civil rights. Says the guy in the dress. And both of the Roosevelt's <laughs> criticisms of Hoover's surveillance tactics. And mm. so Hoover maintained a large file on Eleanor, including potentially scandalous evidence of this relationship, <gasps> with which Hoover intended to blackmail Eleanor. Are you So compromised as a reporter Hick resigned her position at the AP to be closer to Eleanor who secured her a job as an investigator for a new deal program. So Eleanor was also very close friends with several lesbian couples and Marie Suvestra, who was her beloved teacher and a great influence on her later thinking uh-huh. was also a lesbian. So, but around the same time, Washington gossip linked Eleanor romantically with another administrator named Harry Hopkins with whom she worked closely. And Eleanor also had a very close relationship with a New York state police sergeant named Earl Miller, who was assigned by the president to be her bodyguard. Um, I am like, Okay. I ordered this book three weeks ago. It didn't get to me until this week. The Susan Quinn, Eleanor and Hick book. Oh, okay. So I'm like 65% done with it. I really was trying really hard to get to it before today. (laughs) Okay, But it is very interesting. Sure. Um, It tells a lot about the life of Hick, especially because her... Because her letters are the ones that, you know, are still around her thoughts. Um, So basically, she first met Eleanor when she was a female reporter traveling on, you know, following FDR's presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Eleanor... is, you know, usually didn't make friends easily. Sure. And so it turns out that like her one secretary and Hick had a lot in common. And so like her secretary vouched for Hick and then let Hick I have see. a couple of exclusive and things like that. And then later in life as she was no longer an AP reporter and she was like working on New Deal stuff, she and Eleanor would travel together. Mm-hmm. So you would often see her listed in reports as like um the first lady's companion sure. um mm-hmm. a former reporter. So we kind of have this picture of what Eleanor Roosevelt looked like. She's very tall. She's very kind of regal. Maybe mm-hmm. she's not, you know, the most conventionally beautiful woman in the world. Nothing she had, wrong with that. She had that Roosevelt upper jaw, yeah, you know? It's um, unfortunate. And Hick was kind of like a short um, plus size woman okay. that people were like, what's <laughs> what's this ugly dumpy lady doing with the, <laughs> oh with the president's God. wife? So, yeah, you yeah. know, they would be like, oh, yeah. Eleanor ate, um, Mrs. Roosevelt had egg, had two eggs and a piece of toast for breakfast. And, um, her companion, uh, Lorena looked like she ate, uh, 14 stacks of pancakes. <gasps> like, it's like nasty, it's just rude. nasty stuff like that. Okay. But the reporters that covered Eleanor were very kind to her along the way. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to talk more about that in a minute, but, okay. um, but the Eleanor and Hick book, it's, It's very good. It gives a really interesting insight into things that obviously we haven't been told before. Exactly. Um, Susan Quinn did a lot of great research. She like went to the, you know, went to the presidential libraries and was, you know, reading all this correspondence files and and all this stuff. And she was able to interview other people. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a very interesting read. Okay. For sure. So, but you know what? I'm just saying, people can decide for themselves what they think. (gasps) Oh, man. What do you think? I think they had a very intimate relationship. Yeah,
0: I think they had a very intimate relationship. And I think that, and what I, from what I know of Eleanor Roosevelt Mm -hmm. and her tough childhood Mm -hmm. and her not super happy marriage, it seems as though Hick was the person that she had been waiting for yeah that that was the person that she felt most like herself and that she could really tell everything to and travel with and have fun with and feel like she could be light again as opposed to just being granny Mm -hmm. like she has been her whole life Mm -hmm. so i think that's sweet
1: yeah they were going around the country making a difference Mm. um another fun tidbit eleanor was also good friends with famed aviator Amelia Earhart uh yeah so uh once at a state dinner um Amelia offered to take the first lady up for a ride in her airplane so basically they ditched the state dinner oh my gosh that's so off cool! and took a joyride in the sky <laughs> like sparkly dinner dresses and all from DC to Baltimore um and that night Eleanor made the decision to take flying lessons with the promise that Amelia Earhart would be her instructor that's the coolest thing the problem was uh-oh Amelia Hart disappeared soon after the encounter in 1937. Um, FDR and Eleanor were both personally shocked by the sudden disappearance of their new friend, and they put up their own money toward the search efforts. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. But Eleanor never did get her flying lessons. Oh, that's too bad. But... She she has a lot going on. Oh, okay? yeah. She's a so, very busy lady. She's an unprecedentedly outspoken first lady. Um, she made far more use in the media than her predecessors. She held 348 press conferences over the span of her husband's 12-year presidency. And inspired by her closeness with Hick, Eleanor placed a ban on male reporters attending <sighs> her press conferences. Yeah, hell so, yeah. So Effectively forcing newspapers to keep female reporters on staff in order to cover them. That's very smart. Um, Because the prestigious journalistic Gridiron Club in Washington, D.C. banned women from its annual Gridiron Dinner, Eleanor instead hosted a competing event for female reporters at the White House, which she called Gridiron Widows. In the early days of her all-female press conferences, she also said that she would not address politics, legislation, or executive decision, since the role of the First Lady was expected to be non-political at the time. Um, She also agreed at first that she would avoid discussing her views on pending Congressional Measures. Uh, the press conferences provided a welcome opportunity for the women reporters to speak directly with the First Lady, access that had been unavailable in previous administrations. Um, also, they tended to not report gossip so much about Eleanor's relationship with Hick or FDR's various affairs huh. because they were granted access to so much else and they didn't want to lose that privilege.
0: No, of course not. Yeah, it's a tit for So tat.
1: they would just, you know, they might see Hick and Eleanor go off in a room and Whatever and not make any mention of it because they They were getting so much else else out of this. Mm -hmm. Understandable. Um, during FDR's administration, Eleanor became an important connection to the African-American population oh, okay. in this era of segregation. Um, despite the president's desire to appease Southern sentiment, Eleanor was vocal in her support of the civil rights movement. Um, so she'd previously worked on the establishment of a planned community in Arthurdale, West Virginia that was for homeless miners who could make a living from subsistence farming, handicrafts, and local manufacturing, along with her inspections of New Deal programs in Southern states eleanor concluded that the new deal programs were discriminating against african-americans yeah <laughs> who received a disproportionately small share of the relief money oh wow yeah surprise yeah surprise. Um, Eleanor became one of the only voices In her husband's administration Insisting that benefits be equally extended To Americans of all races um, She also broke with tradition By invading hundreds of African-American guests To the White House Oh, good for her um, So when the incredible African-American singer Marian Anderson was denied the use Of Washington's Constitutional Hall By the Daughters of the American Revolution In 1939 Eleanor straight up resigned from the group In protest wow. And she helped to arrange another concert for Anderson good. This time on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial memorial you may you may be aware uh, of that i may have heard of it yes yeah wow um eleanor later presented mary anderson to the king and queen of the united kingdom after wow. anderson performed at a white house dinner um that's in 1939 so that was um king george the sixth and his wife elizabeth um they were the first reigning british monarchs to set foot on american soil oh yeah there's a movie
0: about that isn't it it's hyde park on hudson isn't that the one with bill murray And it's like familiar, yeah. They're like, and like it's kind of like funny, but also dramatic. And I guess the queen says, "What is a hot dog?" Like it's you know,
1: (laughs) it's good. Um, Eleanor also arranged the appointment of African-American educator Mary McLeod Bethune with Mm. whom she'd struck up a friendship as director of the Division of Negro Affairs of the National Youth Administration Um, to avoid problems with the staff when Bethune would visit the White House Roosevelt would meet her at the gate embrace her and walk in with her arm in arm that's great Eleanor briefly considered traveling to Europe to work with the Red Cross in 1940 after Germany invaded Belgium but was dissuaded by presidential advisors who pointed out the consequences should the president's wife be captured as a prisoner of war (laughs) yeah
0: that's I can see that that's a
1: legitimate concern I would say sure sure she found other wartime causes to work on beginning with a popular movement to allow the immigration of European refugee children she also lobbied her husband to allow greater immigration of groups persecuted by the Nazis including Jews but fears of Fifth columnists. So that's a term for any group of people who undermine a larger group from within, usually in favor of an enemy group or nation. Um, Mm -hmm. These fifth columnists fear caused Franklin to restrict immigration rather than expanding it. Um, Eleanor successfully secured political refugee status for 83 Jewish refugees from the SS Kwanzaa in. August 1940, but was refused on many other occasions. Wow. And her son James later wrote that her deepest regret at the end of her life was that she had not forced Franklin to accept more refugees from Nazism during the war. Wow. Also in 1940, Eleanor was chosen to speak on Franklin's behalf at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. No first lady had ever spoken to a national convention wow. before. Wow. Okay. Everyone knows who she is. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's superstar. In 1941, Eleanor wrote the short film, Women in Defense. Um, It was produced by the Office of Emergency Management and briefly outlines the ways in which women could help prepare the country for possibility of war. At the end of the film, the narrator... At the end of the film, the narrator explains women are vital to securing a healthy American home life and raising children, which was always the first line of defense. Mm, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Following the 1941 death of Sarah Roosevelt, like finally, um, she lived a long time.
0: (laughs) Being pickled in anger is really keeps you uh, young, I guess. Jeez. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, so Sarah kicks the bucket. FDR Great. and Eleanor finally sell their New York City townhouse to nearby Hunter College, where it became an interfaith and interracial student center.
0: Good. Mm-hmm. Nice. Keeping with her
1: whole thing. Following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, Eleanor spoke out against Japanese-American prejudice, warning against the great hysteria against minority groups. She also privately opposed her husband's executive order, 9066, which required Japanese-Americans in many areas of the U.S. to enter internment camps. She was widely criticized for her defense of Japanese-American citizens, including in a call by the Los Angeles Times that she be forced to retire from public life over her stand on the issue. Wow.
0: She was... Now, not to use a phrase, mm-hmm. hella progressive. Yes. Which is astounding. Yeah. I mean, not astounding for her because of her personality and like what we know about her mm-hmm. and everything. But for that time period, especially with the Japanese internment camps, right. that was definitely like everyone circled their wagons and was like, No, we're defo right. doing this.
1: So with the with the New Deal programs that were implemented, um, to help get America out of the Great Depression, um, so she traveled a lot of the country like learning about these programs and sure. visiting the people and kind mm. of like because her husband, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, sure. in a wheelchair yep. couldn't go visit these people that lived in a mining town in West Virginia exactly. that you had to get to off of a dirt path. There's no ADA compliance during that time. No. And if um we all remember, the press was actually very nice at this time and they, they agreed not to show pictures of Franklin mm. in his wheelchair because yeah. they didn't want to like have that affect his image to the american people so that was actually very nice of the press too is like they they kind of all agreed like if he was s- seated at a desk maybe that was fine mm-hmm. um he had special um crutches built so that he could stand on like and stand at a podium or mm-hmm. like the podiums were strengthened so that like he could, he could lean put on put all of his weight onto that mm-hmm. um but people didn't see pictures of him in a wheelchair interesting till the very very end yeah Huh. So Eleanor again, she's traveling all around the country, learning a lot about these things. Hick is working on a bunch of different New Deal programs sure. and reporting back to her. So Eleanor wasn't always as progressive as she was. She definitely like changed as her life went on, like she like I remember reading like at first she was like, well, if these poor people just did this and this instead, maybe sure, they wouldn't yeah. be so poor, but like that definitely changed as yeah, as, as she, she traveled the world these and, and and learned more about like what was actually happening in America yeah, and like exactly. these effects on everybody. So um, she also supported increased roles for women and African-Americans in the war effort. And she began to advocate for women to be given factory jobs about a year before it became widespread practice. Mm So in 1942, she urged women of all social backgrounds to learn trades, saying, if I were of debutante age, I would go into a factory, any factory where I could learn a skill and be useful. Um, She campaigned for government-sponsored daycare due to all the working mothers who would be absent from work because of their child care needs. Eleanor notably supported the Tuskegee Airmen in their successful ever to become the first black combat pilots um, she visited the tuskegee air corps F- advanced flying school in alabama and she flew with african-american chief civilian instructor c alfred anderson nicknamed chief who had been flying since 1929 and he was responsible for training thousands of rookie pilots so he took her on a half hour flight and after landing she cheerfully announced well you can fly all right
0: <laughs> she likes flying
1: um, so BT Dubs, back in January 1938, FDR founded the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis, now known as the March of Dimes. Oh. Um, So the organization initially focused on the rehabilitation of victims of paralytic polio and supported the work of Jonas Salk and others that led to the development of polio vaccines. Um, Today, the March of Dimes focuses on preventing premature births, congenital disabilities, and infant mortality. The name March of Dimes is a play on the contemporary radio and newsreel series, The March of Time. Um, it was coined by stage screen and radio star Eddie Cantor. Um, thousands of people mailed cards and letters, each containing a dime to the White House. And Cantor's fundraising appeal collected more than $85,000 in what the press called a silver tide, which actually swamped the White House. Wow. So that's where the name The March, March of, Dimes of Dimes came comes in. from. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, When FDR addressed the Congress in person on March 1st, 1945, about a month before he died, he made public reference to his disability for the first time in 20 years. Wow! He said, "Quote: I hope that you will pardon me for this unusual posture of sitting down, but I know you will realize that if it makes a lot easier for me not to have to carry about 10 pounds of steel around on the bottom of my legs." Wow! So FDR. He dies on April 12th, 1945, after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage at the Little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia, which he had kind of built up as like a, you know, uh, these warm baths and stuff to help him with, oh, his, sure, yeah. with his illness. Um, Eleanor later learned that FDR's mistress, Lucy Mercer Rutherford, had been with him when he died, which was made even what? worse when she found out that her daughter, Anna, had been aware of the ongoing relationship between what? the president and Lucy. So he promised her in 1918 he wasn't going to see her anymore. She went and got herself married to an older man in Washington. Hmm. And... Then they kept seeing each other. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so Anna was the one that told Eleanor that Franklin had been with Lucy when he died. And it turned out Franklin had been continuing the relationship for decades. And oh people God. around him had hidden that information from <gasps> his wife. What a betrayal. Yeah. So that's rude. He probably was like having some dalliances here and there with some secretaries anyway. But like this one was the one that really hurt. Yeah. Because that was
0: the one that ended basically ended their, their marriage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: After the funeral, Eleanor temporarily returned to Valkill. Franklin had left instructions for her at the event of his death. Um, He proposed turning over Hyde Park to the federal government as a museum. And she spent the following months cataloging the estate and arranging for the transfer. So the Franklin D. Roosevelt Presidential Library Museum opened on April 12th, 1946, setting a precedent for future presidential libraries. Um, And because he founded the March of Dimes, a dime was chosen to honor FDR upon his death. So the Roosevelt dime was issued on January 30th, 1946. After FDR's death, Eleanor considered Valkill her true home, but largely kept her base of operations in a series of New York City residences. In December 1945, President Harry S. Truman appointed Eleanor as a delegate to the United Nations General Assembly. In April 1946, she became the first chairperson of the preliminary United Nations Commission on Human Rights. So along with legal scholars and human rights activists Renee Cassin and um, John Peters Humphrey, she played an instrumental role in drafting the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Do you know about this? Uh, Probably. So... The Universal Declaration of <laughs> Human Rights is a historic document adopted by the General Assembly of the UN at its third session on December 10th, 1948 as Resolution 217 at the Palais de Chaillot in Paris, France. The declaration consists of 30 articles affirming an individual's rights which, although not legally binding in themselves, have been elaborated in subsequent international treaties, economic transfers, regional human rights instruments, national constitutions, and other laws. So its articles address basic concepts of dignity, liberty, equality, mm-hmm. And Brotherhood the right to life and the Prohibition of slavery and torture Spiritual public and political freedoms And an individuals economic social and Cultural rights including health care mm. It was later incorporated into the International Bill of Human Rights Which was formalized in 1976 along With the International Covenant on Civil and political rights
0: Okay I did know about this mm-hmm. I didn't know Eleanor had anything to do With yeah. it. yeah that's amazing yeah
1: she did In 1953 Eleanor appeared as the mystery guest on the <gasps> popular TV panel program "What's My Line?" What's My Line? She
0: was on "What's My Line." Yes,
1: but the moderator John Charles Daly spoke for her in the first round because her voice was so well known. So oh, okay, that um, makes sense. Yeah, we'll post that link on Twitter because the because that clip is on YouTube. It's pretty good. That's like cute. to watch the panel guests like deduce who she is, and the men are all like, "Oh, is the guest in politics?" And John Daly is like. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: and That's it's the lady
1: that figures out who, who it is. Of course. FYI. Um, so Eleanor also wasn't afraid of television. Um, she advertised a large range of Um, products and her appearance in a 1959 TV commercial for good luck margarine not only endorsed margarine to the discerning housewife but continues to be one of those fun facts that articles like to trot out about the former first lady so this commercial netted the former first lady $35,000 which she used to purchase 6,000 care packages for the poor of course because bless her I know. She was so great. During her radio show years, she also contracted with Pond's cold cream and chilled for coffee, mattresses, typewriters, and shoe companies. And all of that money also went to philanthropy. Oh, my gosh. In April 1960, Eleanor was diagnosed with aplastic anemia. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a condition that occurs when your body stops producing enough new blood cells. Um, after being struck by a car in New York oh. City. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know who did it, but... Who would hit Eleanor
0: Roosevelt with their own
1: vehicle? <laughs> She's so
0: tall. She's so tall and so recognizable. You know what it was? He was probably like, "Is that Eleanor Roosevelt?" <laughs> Come on. <laughs> However, in
1: 1962, she was given steroids, which activated a dormant case of tuberculosis oh, in her bone no, marrow. No, not tuberculosis. And she just say it with, say it with me tuberculosis and she died of resulting cardiac failure at her manhattan home on the upper east side on november 7th 1962 at age 78 oh wow okay President John F. Kennedy ordered all U.S. flags lowered to half-staff throughout the world on November 8th in tribute to Roosevelt. Among prominent attendees at her funeral in Hyde Park on November 10th, 1962, were President Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon Johnson, and former Presidents Truman and Eisenhower. Um, Eleanor was interred next to her husband in the Rose Garden at Springwood, the Roosevelt family home. At the services, politician Adlai Stevenson said, What other single human being has touched and transformed the existence of so many? adding, she would rather light a candle than curse the darkness, and her glow has warmed the world.
0: Oh, (laughs) Oh. Oh, She was so
1: good. Yeah.
0: That's sweet.
1: So at at least she probably got to have some happiness in her life.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um... So, some extra recognition and awards for her. In 1972, the Eleanor Roosevelt Institute was founded. It merged with the Franklin D. Roosevelt Four Freedoms Foundation in 1987 to become the Roosevelt Institute, a liberal American think tank. The organization exists to carry forward the legacy and values of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt by developing progressive ideas and bold leadership in the service of restoring America's promise of opportunity to all. Eleanor was posthumously inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1973. In 1977, her home, Val Kill, was formally designated by an act of Congress as the Eleanor Roosevelt National Historic Site. Um, In 1998, President Bill Clinton Established the Eleanor Roosevelt Award for Human Rights To honor outstanding American promoters Of rights in the United States And in April 2016 U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, Jacob Lew Announced that Eleanor Roosevelt will appear With Marian Anderson and notice suffragists On the redesigned U.S. $5 bill Scheduled to be unveiled in 2020 The 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment Of the U.S. Constitution Mm -hmm. Which guaranteed women the right to vote Yes Uh, So to learn more about Eleanor, you can check out the very excellent Blanche Wise and Cook's biography of Eleanor Roosevelt, which is three volumes. You have the early years, the defining years and the war years and after. So when you retire and you have time to read these massive three (laughs) volume um, Mm -hmm. biographies, go for it. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt also wrote the autobiography of Eleanor Roosevelt. She also wrote You Learn by Living 11 Keys for a More Fulfilling Life. And then finally the book by Susan Quinn um which came out in 2016, Eleanor and Hick, the low affair that shaped a first lady. So I know that was a lot, but Yeah. I feel like she's someone that people are like, yeah, she was important, but like aren't totally sure why.
0: I uh I always thought that she did all of this good after her husband mm-hmm. died. I guess I didn't realize that she was like actively like doing all of this stuff from like moment one Mm -hmm. yeah and you all should know that julia is (laughs) crying right now
1: (laughs) sometimes like history makes me emotional well yeah history (laughs) should make you emotional
0: history is the story of us throughout time and space reaching back you should get emotional about history it's like the best stories ever told First Cry, episode 78, (laughs) 79.
1: Episode 78, 78. So to kind of follow the theme here, uh, my quiz is called First Ladies. This is a quiz on exemplary women who were the first in their field. Question one. Jeanette Rankin was the first American woman to hold federal office in the United States. Which big sky state did she represent in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1917 to 1919 and again from 1941 to 1943? Question 2. On June 16, 1963, the Vostok 6, a single person Soviet capsule, was launched into space. With the project designed to collect data on the female human body's reaction to spaceflight, the cosmonaut inside the craft spent two days, 22 hours, and 50 minutes in space, writing not love letters, but observational records in her flight log. Who was this first woman to have flown in space? Question three. Sarah Breedlove, the first self made female millionaire, was an African American entrepreneur and activist. She made her fortune by developing and marketing a line of beauty and hair products for black women in the 1900s and 1910s, and was better known by what formal sounding name? Question four. You were probably reminded of this in 2016, but Hillary Clinton wasn't the first woman to run for president of the United States. That title was instead bestowed upon which candidate who headed the ticket for the Equal Rights Party back in 1872 with black abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass as her running mate. Question five. Monet Davis of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania gained national notoriety at age 13 for being the first female to accomplish a rare feat during a particular sporting event. What sport did she play? Question six. In 1953, U.S. Air Force Reserve Lieutenant Colonel Jacqueline Cochran became the first woman to break the sound barrier when she flew a Sabre 3 at Rogers Dry Lake, California. She was encouraged by a friend and fellow Air Force officer who just a few years earlier had become the first male pilot confirmed to have exceeded the speed of sound in flight. What was his name? Question seven. Even though it didn't quite catch on, Susan B. Anthony was the first historical woman depicted on circulating currency when the Susan B. Anthony dollar was minted from 1979 to 1981. Which president, who I would rate five stars, appeared on the previous larger $1 coin that was replaced in 1979 by Susan B.? Question eight. Say a little prayer for the chain of fools who didn't respect this natural woman. Who was the first female performer to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Question nine, in 1936, Time Magazine's first female person of the year was which American socialite whose choice of lovers caused a constitutional crisis across the pond? And question 10, don't touch that dial. Gertrude Etterly, nicknamed Queen of the Waves by the press, was the first woman to successfully swim across which body of water on August 6, 1926? give you about a minute to think and we'll be back with your answers.
0: I am a bad woman. They should take my woman card away from me. I don't know a lot of these. I'm very upset.
1: Of course you do <sighs> know a lot of these. I don't know. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm open. Kay. Here we go. Question one. Jeanette Rankin was the first American woman to hold federal office in the U.S., which Big Sky state did she represent in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1917 to 1919 and again from 41 to 43. Big Sky? Mm-hmm. Is that... Oh
0: God, Wyoming? No, but Co- you're close. I know I'm close. Uh it's not Colorado. No. Um Bigger. Uh, Think bigger. B- bigger than than Colorado? Mm. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> Uh not Utah. Um is it Oh just tell me. Montana. Montana, damn it! I know two people from Montana. <laughs> <sighs>
1: That's probably more than most people in America.
0: I know. And I, I went to grad school with both of them in the same year. They're like, you're, they didn't know each other. That's the thing. They're from opposite ends of Montana. In Syracuse, New York. I was Who trying knew?
1: to write the question to be like, she didn't go to hell in a handbasket, but she went to Washington, D.C., which was almost the same place. But I, I wouldn't
0: have got that either. <laughs>
1: So Jeanette Rankin was instrumental in initiating the legislation that eventually became the 19th Constitutional Amendment, which granted unrestricted voting rights to women. Again, check out our our amendments episode, I plead the fifth.
0: Um, In
1: her victory speech, she recognized the power she held being the only woman to vote in Congress, saying, I am deeply conscious of the responsibility resting upon me. She championed the causes of women's rights and civil rights throughout a career that spanned more than six decades, and she never married. The Jeanette Rankin Foundation, now the Jeanette Rankin Women's Scholarship Fund, a 501c3 nonprofit organization, awards annual educational scholarships to low-income women, 35 and older across the US. So it began with a single $500 scholarship in 1978 and it has since awarded more than 1.8 million in scholarships to more than 700 wow, women well that's amazing i think i'm just gonna like cry the rest of this
0: episode <laughs> i have wait there's a napkin here i think hold on there you go i'm gonna fold it up nice for you there you go
1: Thanks. that's to dab in the corners oh, of your boy. eyes
0: number two <laughs> okay on june 16
1: 1963 the vostok 6 a single person soviet capsule was launched into space with the project designed to collect data on the female human body's reaction to spaceflight, the cosmonaut inside the craft spent two days, 22 hours, and 50 minutes in space, writing not love letters, but observational records in her flight log. Who was this first woman to have flown in space?
0: I, I know this because I knew it at one point. I know you, I know, you know it. Yeah, but the name Lydia the Do- <laughs> doskaya Is is now now in my brain from my last, yeah.
1: So I don't remember. What's her name? The first woman in space is Valentina Tereshkova.
0: Tereshkova. Damn it. I knew that.
1: So before her recruitment as a cosmonaut, Tereshkova was a textile factory assembly worker and an amateur skydiver. Um, It was her expertise in skydiving that led her to her selection as a cosmonaut. She was chosen with four other finalists from more than 400 applicants due to her background and that her father had died as a war hero for the Russians in World War II. In 1969, she became a prominent member of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, holding various political offices. She's regarded as a hero in post-Soviet Russia and much of the world. Having orbited Earth 48 times, Tereshkova remains the only woman ever to have been on a solo space mission. (gasps) In 2013, she offered to go on a one-way trip to Mars if the opportunity ever arose.
0: She's got that space fever. Yeah. She's like, I got
1: to get back. Yeah. She's been- 81 years old right now. Oh but my God. she she said that she would go on a one-way trip to Mars. Yeah.
0: I mean, it'd have to be one well, way. yeah. Ooh, ooh, better her than that's me scary. I guess No but yeah, she's terrifying. like She's a hero Bless over her there. Yeah no that's amazing
1: Question three Sarah Breedlove The first self-made Female millionaire Was an African-American Entrepreneur and activist She made her fortune By developing and marketing A line of beauty And hair products For black women In the 1900s And 1910s And was better known By what formal sounding name
0: I Know this I, I know you know it I know It's in there <laughs> I know But the the thing
1: is, is that uh, if I give you madam to start, would you get it to so no. Oh,
0: tell me, just tell me. Madam CJ Walker, Madam CJ Walker. Okay. That wasn't the name that I was thinking of. Okay. mind. Um, no, but I, I did know of her. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, she was the first millionaire. That's amazing. Yeah. um, Between 1911 and 1919, during the height of her career, Walker and her company employed several thousand women as sales agents for its products. By 1917, the company claimed to have trained nearly 20,000 women as beauty culturists using the Walker system of hair care and grooming. Question four. You were probably reminded of this in 2016, but Hillary Clinton was not the first woman to run for president of the United States. That title was instead bestowed upon which candidate who headed her the ticket for the Equal Rights Party back in 1872 with black abolitionist leader Frederick Douglass as her running mate.
0: I mean, is it Susan B? No. Because they were tight. They were good. good They were good friends.
1: You're right. But um, she never ran for president. No. Uh,
0: was it um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton? No. Oh, damn it. Is it? Uh, oh, no. I'm just going to name all the yeah. Just tell
1: me. <laughs> it's Victoria Woodhull. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So the Equal Rights Party supported women's suffrage and equal rights. Okay. Um, they included Douglas, who actually didn't take part in the election campaign at all. Like, he was just like, I all guess right. my name. I mean, all he had right. a lot of
0: other things going on.
1: Yeah so they the party basically wanted to reunite suffragists with the african-american civil rights activists since the exclusion of female suffrage from the 15th amendment two years earlier had caused a substantial rift between these two groups oh, sure, yeah. um so many historians and authors agree that woodhall was technically the first woman to run for president though some have questioned that priority given issues with the legality of her run so she was younger than the constitutionally mandated age of 35 at the time oh, okay but, like people didn't care about that they it's, just were sure. like <laughs> they
0: were like a woman
1: yeah, yeah. um um, fans of ABC's Scandal can remember that Melly Grant, um, when she took over as president, as the first female president—I mean, kind of spoiler alert—but whatever, the show's I don't know been what out for a year. <laughs> um, she had a framed campaign poster of Woodhall hanging in the Oval Office instead of like a, the portrait of George Washington that oh, usually hangs there. Oh, that's
0: pretty good, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Question five: Monet Davis of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, gained national notoriety at age thirteen for being the first female to accomplish a rare feat during a particular sporting event. What sport did she play?
0: Track and field,
1: age thirteen.
0: Age thirteen. Age thirteen. Sporting event. Uh, gymnastics. Mm. Oh man. Mm. Uh, ice skating. Wait, <laughs> don't don't walk away from me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cup stacking. What is it? Baseball. Baseball. In twenty fourteen, she was the first female to pitch a shutout in the Little League World Series, and she was also the first African American girl to play in the Little League World Series. Oh, so. She was thirteen years old. Um, so Manny Davis was um the first little league baseball player to appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a little league player. Oh my gosh. And in September twenty fourteen she donated her jersey to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Oh. And Marnie Johnson, who was one of the three women to play in the Negro League Baseball League, was present at the event. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so sweet. Yeah, so she was a big name if um so it was like twenty fourteen if people remember when this happened um it was it was a big deal it was really cool so she's you know awesome at baseball and people think she's she's going places she's going
0: places good for her
1: Question six. In 1953, U.S. Air Force Reserve Lieutenant Colonel Jacqueline Conchran became the first woman to break the sound barrier when she flew a Sabre 3 at Rogers Dry Lake, California. She was encouraged by a friend and fellow Air Force officer who just a few years earlier had become the first male pilot confirmed to have exceeded the speed of sound in flight. What was his name? It's not Howard Hughes, is it? <laughs> it's not Howard Hughes. No, damn. Um,
0: is it um, uh, Buzz Aldrin? No. Is it uh, Neil Armstrong? <laughs> Just <laughs> tell me, Chuck me. Yeager, Chuck Yeager, Chuck Yeager.
1: I'm so bad at this. It's. A, I'm going like deep history right now. I so guess. You don't feel bad at all. <laughs> but like
0: we've done adjacent topics to this, (laughs) and I'm not remembering any of it.
1: As the first human to officially break the sound barrier on October 14, 1947, Chuck Yeager flew the experimental Bell X-1 at Mach 1 at an altitude of 45,000 feet. He then went on to break several other speed and altitude records. But back to Jacqueline Cochran. Besides being the first supersonic woman, which you know, I want that title so bad. She was also the first woman to land and take off from an aircraft carrier the first woman to pilot a bomber across the North Atlantic and later to fly a jet aircraft on a transatlantic flight, the first pilot to make a blind landing, What? the first woman to fly a fixed-wing jet aircraft across the Atlantic, and the first pilot to fly above 20,000 feet with an oxygen mask. She still holds more distance and speed records than any pilot living or dead, male or female. Wow. Jacqueline Cochran. So if you're getting like a question about a pilot, And you can tell the questions asking about a woman. It's probably it's it's not Amelia Earhart. It's Jacqueline Cochran. Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. Not enough people know about her. Question seven. Even though it didn't quite catch on, Susan B. Anthony was the first historical woman depicted on circulating currency when the Susan B. Anthony dollar was minted from 1979 to 1981. Which president, who I would rate five stars, appeared on the previous larger $1 coin that was replaced in 1979 by Susan B.? This is Eisenhower. It is Eisenhower. I did <laughs>
0: I did know that.
1: (laughs) The Susan B. Anthony dollar was intended as a replacement for the larger and more cumbersome Eisenhower dollar. It is big. It's very big. Uh, The new smaller $1 coin went through testing of several shapes and compositions, but all were opposed by big vending machine. (laughs) No. Yeah. No. Not big chip. A powerful <laughs> lobby Affecting coin legislation uh, One half billion coins Were struck in anticipation Of considerable public demand But the Anthony dollar Was poorly received In part because of the confusion Caused by its similarity In size and metallic composition To the quarter Oh my god everybody You have
0: two eyes Use them <laughs> Does this one have a woman on it? Uh, It's worth more money That's a dollar Yep <laughs>
1: um the reverse of both the eisenhower and anthony dollars depicted the insignia of apollo 11 which was established during Eisenhower's administration even though our famous suffragette didn't have any link to it so that was another like controversy that it had
0: yeah i guess that's so it's like on one side you got the you Susie got, b and never by the been other space side is
1: is this a is apollo 11 is this apollo insignia? 11? what yeah that doesn't make any sense Question eight I saw you laugh when I said this one. Say a little prayer for the chain of fools who didn't respect this natural woman. Oh my God, it's so good. Who was the first female performer to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Uh, that's Aretha Franklin. Yes, it is. Yes.
0: That's very good.
1: Um, <laughs> as if you didn't know already, Franklin received numerous honors throughout her career, including her 1987 induction. She also won the National Medal of Arts and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 2010, Rolling Stone Magazine ranked her number one on their list of the 100 ga- greatest singers of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. Question nine. In
1: 1936, Time Magazine's first female person of the year was which American socialite whose choice of lovers caused a constitutional crisis across the pond? That's Wallace Simpson. It is Wallace Simpson. King Edward VIII's desire to marry a woman who had two living ex-husbands threatened to cause a constitutional crisis in the UK and the Dominions, and ultimately led to his abdication in December 1936 to marry the woman he loves. After abdicating, the former king was named Duke of Windsor by his brother and successor, king george the sixth wallace married edward six months later after which she was known as the duchess of windsor though she wasn't allowed to share her husband's title of royal highness no um so king george the sixth who took over is the father of queen elizabeth the second yes so that's how she got to be queen see the king's
0: speech which explains
1: a, little a bit lot of that, of that. <laughs> yeah there you go and finally question 10 don't touch that dial Gertrude Ederle, nicknamed Queen of the Waves by the press, was the first woman to successfully swim across which body of water on August 6, 1926? Is that uh, the English Channel? It is the yes. English Channel. Uh, that is the body of water that separates southern England from northern France and links the southern part of the North Sea to the Atlantic Ocean. It's about um, 350 miles long or about 560 kilometers. And it varies in width from about 150 miles, that's 240 kilometers um, at its widest, um, to about 20 miles or 33 kilometers in the strait of dover. It took her 14 hours and 34 minutes to swim from france to england. Oh my gosh.
0: I have never done
1: anything for 14 hours. No,
0: absolutely not. I've never driven. I've never slept. I've never um kept my eyes open <laughs> for 14 hours. <laughs>
1: So, the first person to greet her when she got on shore was a British immigration officer who requested a passport from the, quote, bleary-eyed waterlogged teenager. (laughs) She was actually uh, 20, not a teenager, when she successfully swam the channel. Uh, When Edderly returned home, she was greeted with a ticker tape parade in Manhattan. Yeah, hell yeah. More than two million people lined the street of the parade route to cheer her. Only five men had been able to swim the English Channel before Edderly, and their best time had been 16 hours, 33 minutes. So, Yeah. She was faster than any of the people that did it before her and the first woman to do it. And she was younger than them. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. Good for her. Yeah. So many strong, powerful women. Strong, strong female. Sisters. Presence in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. All
0: about. Man men. (laughs) Sorry. That was. Took it too far. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Sorry, everyone. Got excited there. Um, Awesome. Thank you, Julia. That was wonderful. Yeah, That was a Thanks. lovely story about Eleanor and a lovely quiz about women that I did very poorly on, that I got 40% on. So I need to do some reading when I get home.
1: <laughs> um, uh, that's why we're a tribute team. Yeah, no, that's absolutely. You're absolutely correct. It, Steve would have known the cosmonaut.
0: Maybe. He would have known Chuck Yeager. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he definitely definitely would have. Yeah. See? Yeah. We're a team. There's no I in team. We're all together on all this. together. Um, so thanks, guys. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us and if you want to talk to us a little bit more about Eleanor Roosevelt or if you have any listeners submitted trivia, we haven't had any listeners submitted trivia in a while. These so, people are just learning so much. I know, they're learning so much from us. <laughs> they're learning so much from other <laughs> trivia podcasts, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but uh, you can reach us at missinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us uh, at missinfopod. Um you can reach us at our Facebook page misinformation colon a trivia podcast and uh, you can head over to our website tripledub.misinfopod.com.
1: Um oh. We're going to Geek Bowl. Oh yeah, I mean, we're going to Geek it's Bowl like, guys. I know It's like some people care about that. Um so that's going to be in Las Vegas. I made t-shirts. I need t-shirts <laughs> for us. Um that's the first weekend in March in Vegas. Um so we're going to be at Geek We're going to be there. We have um our exciting teammates Mara and Idris are joining us. Hi Mara, That'll hi be Idris. really fun. Hey guys. Um so they're going to be there with us and um maybe we'll see some of you guys there. If you see us, so- we're going to have
0: pink shirts on. <laughs> And the with, only women in Las Vegas. Yes, the only women in Las Vegas. Well, we're going to be the only women in Las Vegas with just like clean ass t-shirts yeah. and <laughs> jeans on. <laughs> That's a misinformation yep. a trivia podcast on the front. Uh, so yeah, come say hi. We're yeah. very welcoming.
1: It'll be fun. It'll yeah. be exciting to meet some people in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I think it'll be good. Our return to it'll Vegas. Be nice
0: and warm there, which I am looking forward to. <laughs> For sure. Yeah.
1: Yes. Um, but also, if you want to um, uh, tell a friend about our podcast, you can tell yeah. them they can find us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whatever kind of podcast app you prefer. So um, please continue to rate, review, and subscribe. We yes, really we appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yep. Also, we have a website. You probably already said that. Yeah, I did. I, I dub the- dot, this infopod
0: <laughs> dot com. You can stream us there. Uh, so thanks, guys.
1: <laughs> we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.